today on your faves faves i am sitting down with a country music fave and an american idol fave and one of my instagram faves bobby bones I guess I shouldn't be surprised that this conversation was so fun, but you honestly never know. Like I never know when I, when they're like, okay, this person's on the show. I don't know. Are they going to be awesome? Are they going to be weird? I feel like Bobby and I could be real life friends. I know you guys are so sick of hearing me say that, but uh, we had a ton of fun and Bobby shared his dream dinner party, like the five favorite people he would want to invite over for dinner. And it's cooler than normally you would hear because in some cases he's actually met some of the celebrities that he dreams of having over and he had really rad stories and I mean it's just a fun conversation that I feel like you're gonna love as much as I did so here's your faves faves with Bobby Bones if you love it please take a screenshot tag me tag Bobby let us know what you thought check in tell us who your five favorite people would be for dinner here it is enjoy Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is your Faves Faves. Your your top five living people that you would like to have dinner with. If I could create the ultimate me plus five dinner party, the five people that I would invite and probably enjoy myself way too much that I would never have to talk. And that's always my goal. I'm, I have a job where I talk all the time that when it's not time for me to talk, I have right. nothing to say. Like I'm done. So are you an introvert or an extrovert? Completely introverted when I'm, I, I'm an mm. extroverted introvert. You know, I live, I understand that a lot of my life, either on TV or radio or even on stage doing stand up. And when it's time for it to be over, I have, I'm not tired. I just, I filled that cup and I have nothing. And I yes. think, and I don't know if you get this at all, but at times, because I also feel like I'm imposing on people all the time. Like, I feel like nobody really wants to talk to me or hang out with me. So I'm like, well, I'll just kind of sit on the wall. And then what happens is people go, well, that guy is such a douche. And I'm like, well, no, I just don't feel like <laughs> that I'm that worthy of. So that's kind of what my life is. I definitely understand the idea of sort of going out and being present for your audience and then all of the energy that requires and wanting to then go kind of curl into a ball and like not have to communicate with anybody. But I would say I, it's sort of like you can turn it on when you need to. And then I am, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. It was a balance that I had to learn how to do, or I was just uh, mentally exhausted all the time but yeah I feel like now I've kind of got it figured out and I'm comfortable now in my own skin where if people don't you know like the the introverted shy version of me I don't care that much anymore I'm just too tired Rachel to care anymore right right well I also feel like one of the biggest learnings for me in the last couple of years was I used to think I would go out and do you know a keynote or a conference or something that required a ton of energy to be on and then I would kind of go retreat into this hole. And then I realized I, I have a very tight group of best friends and there are people in my life who actually give energy to me. So if I'm around those people, they don't take more, they fill me back up. And so instead of going into a hole now, I sort of come back and hang out with them and get to laugh and giggle and have a good time. And then that kind of replenishes my spirit as well. That's interesting. They're, they're a bit of your charging station. Yeah. For me... You know, I think for so long, 
Because my, my story in a nutshell is like, I grew up, I never had a dad. My mom was a drug addict who died in her forties. So I love very much, but I didn't have a relationship with any parent, really anyone except for a grandmother who adopted me for a bit, um, who served as a, a, so I think most of my performing life, if I was on stage or, you know, on the radio or wherever it was, um, I think I was just chasing some sort of love. And I think I was putting all this energy out to find whatever love that people would give me because that, that was where I first started to be rewarded for anything was in performance. So I would get this love and I had it for a second, but then it would go away and I would go chase it again. And so I think as I've gotten older and I now have, you know, someone that I do love for the first time I and mean, my fiance that I have now, I, she's the first person in my life I've ever told I loved. But I think there's, there is, wow. there's a bit of that where I think part of me finally, as I say, feeling good in my own skin is I finally feel loved and I don't always have to chase it anymore because there would be nights where I would come off stage and I, you know, I was playing theaters all around the country doing stand up, and, you know, I'm telling jokes to two, 3000 people and the shows are going well and you get this high from performing but then you go back to an empty hotel room and it's just the opposite and awful feeling. And so it's like, well, I got to get it back right. out there again. I got to go again. I got to go again. So I think a bit of it is finding someone that makes me not chase it as hard, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. And I think it's, it's so, I mean, just as someone who sort of watched, like I follow you on social in the last couple of years, that it's so cool to see you have your person like and I this is the first time we're talking so I know it sounds very weird for a stranger to say that to you but to sort of watch you guys in your relationship because first it was like the puppy and then it was a girlfriend and then when you guys got engaged like man it's a huge deal to hear like this is the first time that this is that's that's really vulnerable to have to be in that place but also I think when you find your person that you can trust in that way that is incredible. So congratulations. Thank you. I didn't know that it was real. Like people actually, I thought it was movies, honestly, and books and where people said that they had to, but I, so I was here, I was, I just turned 40, but my whole life I thought, okay, this is fiction. I think people just find somebody and settle with their best, but it was the first time ever that I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Like my dark heart actually feels a little something Aww. that's never been able to be felt before. And so I'm a bit of a new believer and, uh, and I think that's helped a lot in, you know, how I strive to, to find love in other places. I just, I like to be on, I like to be off now because I don't need it as much. So that's a really long, that's a big deal. That's a really long way to tell that story, but that's, you know, that, that's very much who I, I love it. Honestly, this, the idea behind this podcast was I just thought it would be fun and lighthearted and something for people to listen to, but most often the conversations veer off into other places. So I'm here for it. <laughs> but let's say you are planning, this is your dream dinner party. First, can we set the stage? It's your dream dinner party. What's the situation? Are we at a restaurant? Are we at your home? Is it you cooking a private chef, like cast the vision? Oh, that's good. Well, it's going to be at my house because I don't like to leave my house. I travel <laughs> so much for work that if I get to be home, I don't like to leave home. And so it's going to be at my house. You know what? I'm going to have Caitlin cook. She's a great cook. She's my fiance. Awesome. We have as few people inside of our house as possible. We re recently had an issue with someone who was taking pictures inside of our house. And so now it's freaked me out. It's a whole No. Whole oh, man. That sucks. It that does sucks. suck. But that's okay. You people learn. People are weird. People, people are weird. Once, you, you get it. Like, I, I'm a very trusting person until it's not time to trust anymore. And then I just right. shut down because once I'm burned, right. 
I got nothing. And uh, yeah, we had somebody that was taking pictures inside of our house that we were having do some work over at the house. And it's very unfortunate, but we have learned. And so nobody comes in the house now without an NDA. The end. You take a picture? Really? Wow. I would have never thought that until we had this issue. And then it's okay. If you want to come do some work in the house, if you're going to be in in our private spot, then that's, that's what's up. But also I've been jumped. I've been, I've had a gun held to my head. You know, I've had like recently in the past, in the past 10 years, because of my job, I've probably had eight or nine death threats. I've been jumped at work. I've had a gun. held. You're you're like the most delightful, joyful. Like what, what are the death threats for? I'm not, I'm laughing because I'm nervous. Not because it's funny. What, what is I think what honestly, makes you angry? It's just a numbers game. I think right. when I don't feel like I'm extremely polarizing. I definitely have opinions, but I don't think I'm extremely right. polarizing to the point of someone wants to kill me. But right. oh yeah, I mean I it's been pretty serious. So Man. just un- unfortunate, but all those things have happened and but now I know I've learned. Luckily I haven't, you know, been seriously hurt. Um but because of that. I'm going to have a party in my house. Every, all these famous people are going to sign an NDA. No one's going to talk Great. about it. Yeah. Great. But I think she's going to cook and she's going to cook traditional Southern food. I'm from Arkansas. It's my favorite type of food. You know, chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, fried okra. Like that's the dinner. Delightful. Okay. So the first person on your list. Who? Let me ask you, this, you before I tell you my first person, because I'm going to, my okay. hero is going to be first. Do you have a professional hero? Yes. Who? The Rock. Why? Okay, very specifically, because I I talk about him all the time, and I admire him so much, and people laugh, or people think it's because I want to make out with him. That's not it. (laughs) It's two reasons. Number one, because you can tell how hard he works for excellence. You can tell the excellence that he brings to what he does. And in some of the craziest, hardest seasons of my professional life, when I felt really depleted and when I felt like I can't keep up with the schedule, I can't keep doing these things. I know it sounds cheesy, but I would go and look at his social media where he was like doing push-ups with chains around his neck. And I would be like, if that guy can work out that hard, I can show up and do this thing that I'm supposed to do. And maybe it was silly, but it was really helpful for me. And so I admire him a ton. The second reason is because every person I know in the industry talks about his work ethic and how kind he is to everybody. Like he has such a good reputation. And I just think like, if there's someone to emulate freaking the rock. So someday I hope that we'll be best friends. Have you met him? No, it's coming though. Okay. So you're not nervous to meet him then? No, I genuinely, I know I sound like a crazy person, but I genuinely believe we would be friends. Like, I just feel like I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like it's going to happen because it's meant to happen. I wouldn't be nervous. There are people that I don't want to meet. I love Beyonce. I love too much. I don't even want to be in the, I no, I couldn't handle myself, but that's a whole, she's like a goddess. He's a hero. (laughs) You know, it's interesting because I've never really wanted to meet my heroes because I didn't want to be disappointed. Right. Where, Where I didn't have positive influences in real life. So I depend on people coming through my television screen or my radio to be those influences. And if they were turds, I had nothing. So I never wanted to meet them until now, because I feel like I'm good now. Like I have 
through tons of therapy and just growing older, I don't need them anymore to make me feel like I'm doing a good job because I always wondered what, and my first person, and this is leading up to him is David Letterman. I always wondered, Oh, okay. Would my hero, David Letterman be just a total jerk because of all the books I've read of him, of dealing of people I know that have dealt with him. There were stages, seasons, we could say, where he was just awful to deal with. However, David Letterman to me was a guy who was from the middle of America, although he's from Indiana, I'm from Arkansas. Not the same, but the same. We weren't from somewhere, a place that was super privileged or one of the coasts. He was also quite goofy looking, as was I. And he was the first guy, as I still am, he was the first guy that I could look at on TV and go, oh, if he can do that, and he is still quite irreverent, then I think I can actually do this. Because he doesn't look like the model. He doesn't look like, you know, someone that was in that mold of late night talk show hosts. And so, but then again, there were just, and you've probably heard them too, just nightmare stories about him. Absolutely. But I also do feel like I love his show on Netflix because I feel like it shows a side of him that we never got to see and sort of a, a like more like heart centered interview and more in depth. That wasn't kind of like those six minute quick hit interviews. I get it though. I think that it's totally fair for us to have heroes that they could be your hero and still be a jerk. Like there's someone who I will not mention, uh, who was my hero for a very long time. And I had interactions with them in the last year and was so disappointed at who they are behind the scenes. And it takes nothing away from what this person meant to my life or how much they inspired me or the person I became because I was inspired by their work. And so I can hold that who they pretend to be and who they actually are two completely different people and still appreciate what they were in my life. It was Ellen, wasn't it? (laughs) No, no, no. that's funny though. (laughs) And, and I think too, uh, with Letterman, for me, not only was it seeing someone like me, hearing someone like me, but also now as I get older and I hear him talk about his his regrets, where he always said, hey, I regretted not having kids until I, he was in his 50s. And here I am. Right. And it, you know, I think I will be fine not having kids for 10 more years. But I think I'm ready. And I think in the next couple of years, we will, if not the next year, who knows next year, I think we'll, you know, put a halt on, on worrying about that in probably a year or so. But him saying that is me going, you know what, learn from people who have been a bit like you and don't make that same mistake. How, how was kids in your life? So when my kids were younger, I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately. When my kids were younger, I really struggled. I really struggled about how do I hold all of these things? How do I manage my career and try and be a good mom? And I didn't feel like I was doing it right. Like, oh, I'm supposed to be this kind of mom and I don't feel like I fit this bill. And I will say my oldest now will be 14 next month and my youngest is three. I can't even believe that I get to know these people. Like it is, they are the joy of my life. Uh, They are so freaking funny. They're so sarcastic. Like I feel that's what I'm most proud of. They get good grades. They're nice people, but they're funny 
and I feel like I have succeeded as a human. So yeah, it's it's freaking hard when you have babies. No joke. It, yeah, they're cute and it's nice when they you know sleep on your shoulder. They are so hard. But when they get older and they become their own little people and they have conversations with you and uh, oh my gosh, it's you know what I was saying earlier about this idea of we go out into the world and we give all this energy and effort and and we have all this drive. When I was younger, I thought that if I if I let myself slow down or if I let myself enjoy it or if I let myself feel the success or the accomplishments that I would lose my ambition because I sort of had this formula for what made me me. And what I have discovered is that by allowing myself to slow down, and this is the gift of 2020 for sure, by allowing myself to slow down it and, and like be present and have these relationships and really show up as a mama the way I want to, I have more ambition than ever. I have more like joy and drive and energy for this work that I'm doing than I've ever had before. So highly recommend children. Well, here's what scares me. Two things. One, just the baby stage. Just, right. Just, I mean, they're cute, but they oh, gotta do the- everything for them. Jeez. Uh-huh. It's a it's it's brutal. Like there's no lying and the and the people who like didn't tell the rest of us that it was going to be a nightmare for a while are jerks number 1. With my first I was so dead set on figuring everything out and doing it all on my own and as I progressed with children I was like how do, who wants to help? Yes, Mima come over and hold this baby. Yes, I will get a babysitter. Yeah, like I am the queen of asking for help and that makes a big difference too. Well, the other fear is I don't want to watch it come out. And my fiance is obsessed with me watching a baby come out of her vagina. I, I'm good. I'm good. I feel like that's so special. In the moment, you'll make a decision in the moment. You'll be up by her head. And then in the moment, you'll make a call. Nope. I make the call right now. I'm not going. She- okay. Here's, here's the thing. I can speak from experience. So I have given birth to three babies. And then my daughter is adopted. And I was there when she was born. And... It was the most magical, special thing ever to see a human push a baby into the world. Now, I'm sure it's different if later you want to look at that area in a different way. I don't know if that's appropriate to say, but for what it's worth, oh my gosh, it was so cool to watch my daughter be born. Yeah, yeah. Right now, uh, I'm going to give it the old no treatment, but... Uh, that, so yeah, yes to David Letterman, um, and having children, okay. that was a long, long way Great. to tell that. Um, so after David Letterman, I'm picking somebody who in my career, especially early on, um, in my, my run in Nashville, which I'm about almost nine years in, which is crazy to think about, you know, you would hear how great some people are and you just become jaded. You probably are too, not jaded and not liking someone, but jaded in we're all just normal folks. Like some people have a little bigger ego and you have to handle them a bit different, but in the end, everybody's just somebody and they oddly are getting rewarded for a profession that we have deemed cooler than others that probably should be cool. So, and so, but there are a few people in my life that I've met in my professional world and I'm just blown away at how they carry themselves, how they treat others, what they've been able to do, not only in their personal life, what they stand for. And I've been able to spend so much time with this person, which isn't years and years, but I've probably spent 
all in probably 15 or 16 hours with this person, which I think is pretty significant. Yeah. Because the person is Dolly Parton and she is everything. Stop it. Everything you've heard about her and as much as people build her up, it's not enough. I mean, I believe it. I believe it. I, oh my gosh. I actually don't know if I want to meet her because I love her so much. Well, I'm going to tell you, you do. She (laughs) is A++. Look, literally, look at the bumper sticker that's on my desk right now. So Dolly Parton (laughs) is the shit. Uh, She is. And every, because I was, there have been a few, I've been nervous about meeting because I didn't want to lose the feeling, because I grew up, my grandmother, you know, raised me for a lot of my life. And I was raised on, you know, I had 90s alternative, 90s country. But before that, it was just classic country because that's what my grandmother listened to. And it was a lot of Dolly. And so yeah. I knew her from just music. But then as I got older, it was Dolly Parton, the icon. But the first time that I met her, just as an interview, and I, I've done a lot of charity stuff with her since. And that's really what we bonded over is doing things together because she just doesn't stop giving. You know, she just, she's in her mid seventies and just runs as fast today as she ever has. But, you know, in hanging out with her, you really learn how to treat other people because it doesn't matter when she walks into the room, it doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter if you're the person taking notes on the interview, if you're the security guy letting her in, if you're me, every person has looked in the eyes and treated like every other person that's either with her or is around her. And it's just- wow. As someone who strives, and I'll never be what she is, but as someone who strives to be a bit in that profession, that career path, you go, man, this is why. Like, this is why some people are inevitably going to be great. And the people that she appeals to, straight people, gay people, black people, white people, across red, blue. Yep, yep. Everybody loves Dolly Parton. And, And what is that secret sauce like, what is it, as you start to break down the DNA of what's made her fantastic, like, what is that that's able to be universally loved and respected? And I think it's her authenticity and her heart with a lot of talent mixed in. Yeah, seriously. I was going to say, she is one of a handful of people that has just consistently shown up as herself unapologetically again and again and again and again, and has always been who she is. I also have a secret belief that she is a genius. She has this persona of the makeup and the hair and the whole thing. Like, I believe like she rolls around without all of that and nobody recognizes her. That's my secret belief about Dolly. I've seen her drive around town before in a car. So she, and, by herself, I mean, don't and get it's me her? wrong. You know, that's her because her car is really nice, but Okay. she's not she's not in the big wig she's not yeah um, but she she's great but she is a genius I mean anyone who can write Jolene and I will always love you the same day the same day oh I didn't know that by herself what anyone who has acting skills the so and she always has so many stories so not only is she lovely but she just is one story after another so I'm putting her David Letterman and Dolly Parton, those are two of my five. This is a legit dinner party already. This is really good. Well, my next one is someone, and it's going to seem like I'm bragging a little bit, and I am, so just know. This next one is someone that I've actually had dinner with. Okay. But there were many of us there, and so I couldn't get as many of my stories that I wanted to hear told. But when he tells stories, and and I tell you, it's I'm on American Idol. It's my fourth season on American Idol. It's me, Luke Bryan, Katy Perry, and Lionel Richie. 
Luke, Brian, and I are dear friends. Um, so it's not Luke. I can have dinner with him on Tuesday. You know, who cares? Uh, he'll say the same about me. We're, we're the same. But Lionel Richie is who I'm putting there oh. because he'll go. And, and this, the two notes about Lionel, he will just bring up a story about Aretha Franklin. Just random. He's just like, that reminds me. Aretha Franklin said to me the other day, she's not alive anymore. But he's like, I still have a voicemail from before she died. And he'll play it. And you're like, what planet is this? And Lionel Richie is quite possibly oh my gosh. just the nicest, purest human at that. He's like with Dolly. He's like, he doesn't have to be that great. About two seasons ago, Ryan was sick on American Idol. And, you know, I'm there to work with all the contestants on music choice, what songs to pick, you know, all the things that for the competition. And Ryan is sick. And no one has ever, except for Ryan, ever hosted that show. And it's like seven minutes before the show starts. And the producer comes up and goes, hey, we need you to host American Idol tonight because Ryan's out. And I'm like, great. I'm, I have a lot of stage experience. I'm good with this show. Let's do it. Not that a little bit of me wasn't nervously excited, but there was, there was excitement. But I was, you know, I was okay. But Lionel grabs me and says, let me talk to you for a second. And I said, okay, great. And I'm like, still, when Lionel grabs you, it's cool. And he goes, my friend, 1961, the Commodores. We weren't ready. Dick Clark calls us up and goes, we need you on the stage. And I'm like, Dick, we're not ready, but you know what? We did it anyway. And that's what you're going to do here. And you know what? The Commodores, we turned out to be pretty successful. So you go get, he didn't have to tell me that story, pull me aside, but it was the, one of the, the wow. greatest mentored moments that I've ever had. And it was from Lionel Richie, who's just the greatest. I mean, Number one, that's insane. Everything that you just said. Number two, I love this conversation. I was talking to someone about this the other day of the idea that you, I I don't, this will sound however it sounds. I think in life, when you have goals and dreams and aspirations for yourself, you have to be ready to go at any moment. Like, I believe that you're going to get a chance. Something's going to happen. You're going to have, you're going to be tapped. You're going to be called on. Someone's going to point at you and that might be it, right? Like this is your moment. And how many times that we, oh, I'm not, oh, you know what? I don't, I'm not what Oprah years ago said, there is no such thing as luck. There is only preparation meeting opportunity at a moment in time. And I feel like that is such an incredible reminder that, you're going to have to go before you feel ready because you're never going to feel ready. And maybe if you're lucky, Lionel Richie is there to put <laughs> you through it. Well, when you say that, because I believe that too, I, uh, that you have to say yes. Like regardless if you're ready or not, you have to say yes. But then I'm such a hypocrite because I'm like, am I ready to have kids? I'm probably never ready to have kids, but. Oh, you will never be ready. It's never the right time to have kids ever. I know that for sure. You just jump and then you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I just did that. And it's too late because you have a baby. Well, that is what I'm, I'm scared of nothing except that. As you can see, I see I'm visibly frightened of having a kid. Right. And I think partially too, because I don't know how to be a parent because I never had parents. I think there's probably right. some of that. Right, right. Though, can I just say, I have parents, but I don't know that my parents are maybe a good example of what to aspire to. And I think that even without, even without someone to emulate, Knowing what you don't want is sometimes as powerful as knowing what you do. So knowing who you don't want to be is enough. 
you know the things that you had and you would never want your child to feel that way and you will move forward from that place and it'll all be okay. And the beautiful thing of parenting is the grace in knowing that like, man, today sucks. I lost my temper. I shouldn't have done it that way. By the grace of God, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I have another chance, right? So it's not a, we got to get it right by Thursday. It's like, you have 18 years to hopefully not screw up this kid. (sighs) It's just so stressful, but it's supposed to be, right? Right. Well, I mean, I could do a whole thought for you on this idea of like, don't create a reality that isn't, that is in your own mind, right? The stress or anxiety about having a child is something you're making up right now because you haven't had one. If you had already had a baby and there was stress and you're identifying what happened last time and worried it might happen this time, okay, fair. But right now you have no experience. So don't create something negative where nothing exists. If you're gonna create something, create positivity and hope like, oh, you know, it's probably gonna be awesome. And it's gonna look like her, she's beautiful. Like, great, we're gonna have this baby and I love her so much and this, This love with her is so much better than I thought it was going to be. For sure, if we grow that love, it's going to be even better. So if you're going to create a feeling and an emotion, create one that's good. Well, we've talked about what traits we hope our children get from us. And what I hope it gets from her is her looks, her personality, her humor, her athleticism, like pretty much everything. Like, so I'm just hoping that it comes out like 95%. And the only thing that I hope. It gets, what do you want from you? I don't know. Just tenacity. That's it. Nothing else really. Is really that That's great. a fantastic trait, man. Um, okay. Next. Okay. My fourth one is not a very sexy pick. If you're not from where I'm from and gr- growing up, okay. we, we didn't have professional sports in Arkansas. We had, we have no professional sports teams. So you had to either love a team from out of the state, or you just loved the Arkansas Razorbacks, which I do. And I would have the head coach of the Arkansas Razorback football team, Sam Pittman. I'd have him to dinner and it would be awesome. And that's, that's all. There's really no great story. I don't even know him that well yet. So is it now, I don't know sports. Is this a a current coach or someone from the past? It's a current coach because. Okay. But you're feeling good about his prospect. I feel pretty good. We, We had him for one year. It's, it is one of the top five biggest things in my life, Arkansas sports. That, I, yes, so I'm putting him there. The thing is, I don't know anything about any sport. I mean, like I know I, I'll show up for the beer, but I fully freaking support the fact that that is exciting. So good for you. This is an interesting thought. So many people, I think, have um, areas in their life that they are really passionate about. Like I am, you know, you're like, I'm passionate about Arkansas sports. And I think that oftentimes our passion, which gives us so much joy and so much energy in our life, are things that people don't want to own up to loving because it feels embarrassing. Like you just unabashedly are like, it's a huge piece of my life is sports teams that I don't play on, but just root for. And how often in life are people would be so much happier if they could just embrace the thing that they love, even if other people think it's weird or don't understand it. Well, a lot of people think that I'm out of my mind, but because we haven't been good in a long time. But I'm. I was gonna say, are they good? I don't know. We haven't been in a long time, but with Arkansas, you know, at some point, maybe 2022, maybe 2026, I will go back to Arkansas because I'm there already. But I will run for office there. Will it be? You know, is that the goal? It was never, sort of. It was never the goal to actually be in politics. It was only to be a performer and. 
be able to not have to worry about living week to week and pay the light bill. Like I love what I do because I saw people in my life working at the mill, not working at all, hating, having to go to work. And I thought, man, even if I, cause I grew up so poor, I didn't care about making money. I, I was already rich. Like if I can pay my bills, right. I'm good. Now that being said, I think that has having that attitude um, has allowed me to be successful in that world because I just go after things I'm passionate about. And when you do that, you work harder at it. And so I've worked so hard because I've been chasing what I've been passionately been after for so long. And it's created a life. I'm not going to say I didn't dream it because I did. Honestly, if I didn't, nobody was going to dream it for me, but it, a life that, you know, a lot of people probably thought I couldn't have, but that said, the goal was to give back and still is to give back because I was given to so much. If it wasn't for church groups, bringing food on the holidays, uh, people donating clothes, I wouldn't have had food or clothes to wear, you know, school clothes, people dropping off their. So as I've learned of ways to give back, it just keeps screaming at me that there are bigger ways except for the, that's not a stage to give back that maybe isn't so glamorous, but you can actually influence things. And about a year ago, there was a group that reached out to me and said, Hey, we would love for you to think about running for the governor of Arkansas in 2022. And at the time I thought, Oh, what in the world would, would, make me do that in this environment. But I think it's been so negative that it mm-hmm. actually inspires me to get in that mix. Now, that being said, I don't know that I wouldn't want to be in the Senate and affect things on a more federal level. I don't know that I want to do it at all right now, but right. There, there are a couple of people and a couple of organizations that are far more significant than I would have ever thought would come after me that are going, you have a shot to win this. And so that's what it is. If I feel like I can give back, then I will. I'm good. I'm set financially. I'm good. I don't need a lot anyway. And I got, right. more, I don't, I got more than I ever thought I would need. I'm good. Right. And so I can easily walk away from this and go do that and feel, feel like my cup is full. Um, so, so yeah, that's, a, that's something that's lingering now. That's really cool. That is really cool and audacious as all hell. Well, I think I can do it, but I think I can do everything. I mean, yeah, it it doesn't matter. I think I can do it and fail so many times, but learn that I can eventually do it and master it. Right. Wait, let's, let's unpack this because I have a very similar belief. I honest to God believe that I can do anything. Like I, I don't believe I can get it right the first time, but I, I just fundamentally believe that if I want something and I'm willing to work hard and I'm willing to suck at it for as long as it takes me to become better, that I will eventually have that thing that I dream of. My, is that is the same for you? It is. My last book is called Fail Until You Don't. And mm-hmm. it's that. It's it. I'm not that good at anything, but I'll get a lot better. And, and the worst thing you can do is give me time to, to, to learn because I will... And I'm okay not getting it right, right? I think there's so much fear in folks of what's going to happen when someone screws up. And, you know, what I tell them is, hey, when's the last time you remember, you know, your friend screwing up or somebody at work giving a bad speech? And like, well, I don't remember anyone. That's right. Nobody keeps track of anyone's losses except you keeping track of your own. So as long as you can move past your fear of others judging you, because they are so wrapped up in their own lives, they don't give a crap about you. So use that as a good thing. Right. And I also think there's something to 
coming from a beginning in life that is really difficult because I've tried to figure this out. I really, I don't, I I'll fail all day. Like I don't have a fear of failure and I never have. I don't care if you watch me fail. I don't care. I've, that's not something that I hold this fear of failure. And I've tried to figure out why. And I think it's because from, from my earliest memory, I just always assumed that life was going to be hard. I always assumed that it would be a mess. I, I never felt like things were working for me or that people were here to help me or whatever, not in a negative way, just that was my reality. And so because I feel like all of life was kind of a fail, it didn't scare me to, to try something. Do you feel like it's the same for you? I do. I think there's a gift of people like us that we didn't see as a gift when it happened because I used to be extremely resentful of growing up in poverty and extremely resentful of not having the quote unquote normal things that the people around me had. However, I had nothing to lose. And when you have nothing to lose, you have everything to gain. And I had one of two ways, honestly, out of my town, it was to be a drug addict or to not. And I chose not. And I think, you know, for me, when we talk about goals and giving back and it's, I just want people to know that if you want the option, it's there. It may, it may be a little harder for you than somebody else, but it's still there because if I can do it, listen, I'm no talent, but if I can do it, you can do it. And you know, it's just letting people know that and then giving them kind of a rail system like, okay, I'm going to put you in these rails a little bit. If you want it, I'm going to give you a little bit of guidance to at least get to a place where you can make a decision on what you want to do with your life. And so, yeah, I mean, that's the core of, of and you brought up such a, a, something that's been just imperative to my life that, that yeah, nothing to lose. Okay, so what? I, I lose a job, I fail, people laugh at me. Right. Yeah, it's already happening. Right. Cheers. That's, yeah. that's Tuesday. It's so right. Have you ever heard Stallone tell the story of getting Rocky made? Um, in different ways. Tell me what you're thinking. Okay. So if, if anyone's watching or listening to this, please go look it up on YouTube. It's so good. And he's done this interview a lot. But, you know, Sylvester Stallone, super struggling, very poor, like so poor. The, the story is, and it's true, that he sold his dog. Like he couldn't afford to feed himself and he couldn't afford to feed the dog. So he thought, I got to sell my dog, my best friend, because at least then somebody will take care of him. And I think he ends up selling the dog for like 20 bucks and he's really struggling and he gets the idea for Rocky. He writes it in one sitting, like he sits down in 17 hours, he just writes and he produces this movie and he takes it out to people. And of course, everybody says, this is terrible. Nobody wants to see this. And he keeps trying, keeps trying. And finally, some producers are like, wow, yeah, actually, this is the thing. We want to buy this movie for $20,000. What is it? 70s, 80s? I don't know when that movie was made. So $20,000 for this guy who is living in poverty, had to sell his dog. He's like beside himself. Oh my God, absolutely. I can't wait to do this. Like, I'm so excited. This is my dream role. Like this is, and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not starring in this movie. And he's like, no, no, I wrote it for me. I'm Rocky. Like, this is me. And they're like, no, no, we don't. And so it goes back and forth and they keep offering him more money if he won't play the part. Just sell us the script. You won't play the part. And the line he says that I always think about is, I already knew how to be poor. I was living in it. I already knew what this was like. I was finding a way. It was to struggle and it sucked, but I was familiar with this. And I thought, 
I would rather stay in this spot than give away this only chance I have at my dream. And I think at one point they offered him like $200,000 and that was the final thing and he wouldn't do it. And eventually, you know, we all know the story. He plays Rocky. It launches his career. It's made him a gajillion dollars. And he had, he had not done any, like there was no reason he should have that thing. And just this idea that he was saying, I'm already in no, I'm already in failure. So I am willing to sit in this failure for as long as it takes me to have this thing that I want. I freaking love that story. Yeah, that it's a tool. Um, empathy is a tool that I am I'm luckily able to use. I don't really feel that sorry for folks. Uh, if it's obviously if it's real bad, but I feel with them and there's a difference. There is, and again, I, I just like you're saying, I mean, I look back and go, wow, I was pretty fortunate to have all that happen to me and, and have accumulated all these tools for life. And one of them also yeah. is being able to empathize with folks. And I'm, again, I'm so grateful. And I try to preach that to folks too. Like be grateful for the hardships because that has added to who you are and how you can help. So I, I hadn't heard the Rocky, that version of the Rocky story, but that is. Yeah. I follow, I followed up some pretty deep uh, rabbit holes on YouTube. So <laughs> um, but I love any kind of like motivational, how they get here. What's the story. So I don't know what I was watching, but I saw that. And then I watched everything on it. It's worth, it's worth a gander. My final person, I don't think is the most likable person to some, to mm, me, interesting to me. I love him. But there are some people when you say his name, they go, oh, hate him. They don't even know. They, don't, they maybe have never heard him say a word, but they already hate him. This person has forged such a path that allowed me to actually walk down my path. Meaning I have been so, for most of my career, unapologetically me that maybe that's why I got jumped. Who knows? But he allowed me to actually walk down that path going, well, if he can do it and everybody hated him, not everybody, but if a large group of people hated him, I can do this too. Do you know who I'm talking about? Right. I, I want to say Howard Stern. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And I, Have you met him? Nope. And I love, I, I love Howard Stern. I didn't grow up listening to him on the radio because we didn't have him in Arkansas. But when Private Parts came out, I saw the movie, then I went and read the book. And then I just became obsessed with not so much the sex humor of it, but especially now he interviews people so wonderfully. I feel like he has grown a lot as a person now, but when he was, you know, in his forties and fifties, he was just so cutting at times where I didn't always love what he was cutting, but the fact that he had no fear in doing it and he had been in so much trouble, he had been fined. I got fined a million dollars like five years ago by the FCC. And so- For what are you, well, maybe you're not allowed to say. It was, yeah, I can say it wasn't anything um, vulgar. So you said, so you said something on the radio and then you get in trouble. I, what happened was I took a clip from the internet that was an EAS tone. You know, when it's like, this is a test of the emergency broadcast, you know, okay, well, hold on. That's not, that's, that's not totally what happened. So you understand I was, there was this. What had happened was in the World Series, maybe five years ago, in the Washington, D.C. market, one of the markets that we're in and we do well in, it was like the ninth inning of a World Series game. And there at the end of the inning, the pitcher throws the ball, and right before they hit the game-winning home run, boo, this is only a test. It comes on. And, why, and, takes, and I'm like, are you out of your mind? Who schedules a test 
during the World Series. So I said, I did a little bit and I took it from the clip from the internet. And I was like, hey, by the way, I have some real personal news to tell you today. I'm really embarrassed about this. I said, I just want you to know that. And then I hit the EAS thing just as a bit. What happened is those EAS uh, tones are supposed to, once they're older, they're supposed to be retired because those tones trigger alert systems all over the country. So the one that I played was supposed to have been retired years ago. It shut down cities all over the country. It was, it, we, we were in, I was in so much trouble that they thought it was going to be a, a super multi-million dollar fine. But thank God that this happened. There was a small station in California who put that tone inside, hey, we're tracking weather all the time. And they put it in there just as a little sound effect to show you what they were doing. And they were fined like $30,000. Well, once the attorneys at my company, once they did the math and they went, okay, well, you can't fine us $10 million based on this right. precedent that's been set. We'll, we'll pay a million. And so that was how I was fined a million dollars. But wait, wait, can you just real quick, when this happened, how long, like how much time went by before you knew, uh oh, we shouldn't have done that? Was it like months or like minutes? Oh, it was minutes. I mean, I was working out of a station in Dallas because I was traveling, maybe touring comedy, and I'd, I'd gone in because I could do the show remotely a lot now. And I, I went into the studio, did the bit, it was great. And like 10 minutes later, I get a call on my cell phone. And it keeps ringing. And I don't, no one, no one calls me during the morning show because they know since I was 17, this is what I've been doing. And so they called over and over and over again. And finally I answered and it was one of my bosses in New York. And they were like, hey, we're going to have to shut the show down. And I'm like, what do you mean? They go, we got to shut the satellite down your feed because apparently you've set off some emergency alerts at tones. And I'm like, man, that can't be right. I didn't put it together. And so I said- That story is wild. And then they said, we have to shut down all the West Coast feed because it hasn't hit there yet. Because our show is aired on different satellites through different feeds. And it had, it had even locked up, I think, like ATT Uverse because, you know, it all relies on. But what happened was I started the tone and didn't finish it all the way. And on those tones, there's an unlock at the beginning. There's a lock at the beginning and an unlock at the end. And I didn't stop it. So all the ATT Uverse TVs were locked up for like hours because I didn't let the whole tone play out. It was, it was oh. miserable. I thought I was getting fired. It was awful. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. That is crazy. Okay. I'm sorry. I sidetracked you. I just, that is a wild story. It is a wild time in my life. There have been a few of those where I thought for sure, this is it. And that was one of them. And the worst thing I, I feel like is when something like that happens and it wasn't the intention. There's one, it's one thing if you're like, you know, what, I'm going to say this and if it pisses people off and if this, I'll die on this hill because I believe in it. Other times when something like that happens, you're like, oh my, I was just trying to be funny. Like, I didn't even know that this was, who would even know that that was something that you couldn't do? That would never occur to me. Never. That's me either. Wild. Me either. And but I the idea, I, I mean, I love the idea of focusing on someone who is sort of living out that unapologetic interview. I'm going to I'm going to say what I want to say. Like the, I know it's odd cause I'm not the demographic for him, but I love Joe Rogan. I think he's so funny. I think he's an incredible interviewer. And the reason I like him so much is because I feel like he is confrontational, but in a way that is respectful of the person that he's interviewing and he's not afraid to ask crazy things. And he's not afraid to interview whoever even at times I'm like, why are you, what, who is this? Why would you let this person have a platform? I still respect, I respect the fact that he does it. 
So I totally get the idea of like looking to someone who has a little bit of that magic that you want to take for yourself. The goal, a goal has always been to get on Stern's show. And he's talked about me a few times in the past year and in a nice way, which he doesn't always about everybody. Um, right. So, you know, hopefully in March is, is kind of the date now for my new TV show when it comes out on Nat Geo. And hopefully I can get on that show. On, that would just be one, if there's a vaccine and he's in studio. Listen, I would love to do it on Zoom, but as you know, not really. No, it's not the same. Yeah. It's not the same. Um, but that, that's always been a goal of mine is to get on his show in some form. Wait, so tell us about the new show. So it's called Breaking Bobby Bones. It is Nat Geo Disney Plus. It'll air on Nat Geo and then be immediately put on Disney Plus, you know, within, I think, 24 hours. And it's a show that I created because I wanted to go around and find people with stories much like we've talked about here. People who have, you know, what had some crappy things happen to them or they're in a crappy situation, but their outlook is positive And what they're doing is, I wouldn't use the word spectacular, but is quite noble or they're just defying odds doing it. You know, there's one of the guys, he, he plays on the U.S. Paralympic hockey team and his story is so good. Um, so I went and I spend days with them and then I compete at what they do. And so I got, and I've played Paralympic hockey. I never, I've only ice skated once at like church camp in eighth grade. And so I'm, I'm on a sled playing hockey against the U.S. Paralympic hockey team and just getting slammed. They're not taking, but it's their story. I, I compare it to like an Anthony Bourdain meets uh, Jackass. And then yeah. at, at the end, we do a big give bag because that's important to me and what I do. But it's funny because I'm just a dope out there. You know, rec- I'm really scared of heights. And they had me at the Grand Canyon for one of these episodes. And there are these guys and the guy was fantastic who I was with for three days because he had been in jail and he had found his passion that kept him out of trouble, which oddly was rope access because there are some places that you can't get to with an airplane or a drone or a ladder. So they have to build these rigs and go out on ropes and hang from ropes hundreds, thousands of feet over. I hate heights, but the crew thought it'd be funny. And I had to hang 5,000 feet over the Grand Canyon on a single rope cleaning at the sky bridge. It was miserable, but I did it. What, What were you doing? Were you crying? Were you sick to your stomach? I was extremely scared, but I, I try not to let fear be the dominating factor in anything that I do. And so I felt like it would be hypocritical of me to get scared of a cliff. I don't get scared of bigger, you know, non-physical things. But the, the funny part of this story is my fiance travels now with me. She has a, a computer job where she, she codes internationally for software sales. So she has, but she can do it from anywhere. So she right. takes her laptop and her little, her little system and she'll come out on the road with me and work while I'm on. But it was, um, I believe a Saturday and she wasn't working and she was on set and she had headphones on that you can hear my microphone because I was, you know, 50 yards away on the side of a cliff going, I don't want to hang over the Grand Canyon. And I was struggling so much and I was so scared that she started crying. Aww. So I didn't cry. I might've peed a little, but she cried and it was, but it's things like it was his story. And then you get to see me trying to do what they do. And I'm really excited about it. I, I recently just did a stunt person. Um, she is a black stunt actress in Hollywood. And she talks about how hard it is to be not only an African-American, but a stunt woman in 
you know, what she's had to go through to get to this point. And then I had to light myself on fire, fall off a house and look, a fi- so it's stuff like that. And I fail at a lot of, them. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't pass them all, but I, but I do them all. Um, and I hope people will not only see the humor in it, but also hopefully the stories resonate with pe- with folks watching it. Man, that is so rad. I'm excited. It sounds like the exact kind of thing that I watch with my kids. So it is that show. Check it out. That's the goal. Like you can, it doesn't have to be your favorite show if you're an adult, but you can like it and your kids will also like it. Cause everything I do, yep. I mean, I don't curse in my personal life. So I don't curse on TV. I don't live in that, right. that, that world, but I wanted it to not be Mr. Rogers, but to be something everybody could love and have a good time watching and do something together. So that's so cool. Yeah, that's out. And then um, American Idol, February 14th, depending on when this airs back on, on ABC for that show and just doing the radio show and it's, everything's been pretty cool. That's awesome. Tell people if they don't already follow you. So they're not getting updates on your life and your engagement and your dog where they can follow you. I don't know that I recommend. I'm not the greatest follow. Let me say that up front. It's I feel like your feed is always joyful. It's basically pictures of my dog and my fiance and sometimes food, but right. What's wrong with that? That's the kind of content that I am looking for. Okay. Well, it's uh, Mr. Bobby Bones. I've tried to buy at Bobby Bones, but the guy won't sell it even though he doesn't use it. Isn't that so lame? You're like, come on, dude. Like, what's the end game? What are you going to? Yeah. Yeah. What's the end game? So, uh, Mr. Bobby Bones, otherwise, that's it. Just one foot in front of the other every single day. Right. Hey, man, I appreciate you hanging out with me and telling me about this dinner party. I would like to request being the sixth member (laughs) because it sounds fantastic. I'm super grateful that I got to hang out with you today. I look forward to someday getting to shake your hand in real life. It was really fun getting to talk. The feeling is mutual. And, you know, not only do I just admire and respect what you do, I have so many friends that when I said I was going to talk to you today, they were all like, oh my God, that's so cool. They don't think anything I do is cool. Like nothing, nothing I do is neat or cool or they, but they're like, you got to tell me what it was like when it's over. And so uh, thank you for talking with me. I really appreciate it. Your Faves Faves is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. The show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support from Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Your Faves Faves is a 3% chance production. 